Hello and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm your host Neil Shilat and I'm delighted to say I have been joined by Alex Parker. How are you Alex? I am doing okay. Okay, thank you Neil. Obviously over here it's very early for me. Um yeah, it's just past 7am to get up. I and I volunteer to do this. Uh the reason is because my friend is going on a run. Um uh some marathon fin in London. And uh, I need to be there in central London by about 10.40 or 10.30-ish. So uh, I'm, I'm on the clock today. Oh, okay. And, well, uh, we don't have uh, Varun Vasudevan. He is still recovering um, from Manchester United's uh, stoppage time concession against Fulham. <laughs> so I think we can consider him out for the week, but hopefully he'll be back next week. He'll be back All soon, right. Luke Shaw. <laughs> oh well, I, I mean, I sure hope so. <laughs> uh, anyway, our topic for today is, I mean, a very interesting one for me. It's one I've been trying to push for quite a while now. Uh, we'll be talking about Las Palmas, uh, who, in my opinion, are quite possibly one of the most, I mean, I, I, I'm tempted to say the most interesting team in La Liga because obviously Girona are doing super well. And we've covered them before. But with with Las Palmas, they're a newly promoted side who have come up and immediately taken the league, I, I mean, by storm in relative terms because they're up in ninth in the top half of the table and look quite comfortable to finish there um, while basically the rest of the bottom half almost is embroiled in a relegation battle. So they've and been... They've done this while having the worst attack in La Liga by the stats. They've created the least non-penalty expected goals wow. uh, per 90. Yeah, so that's, that's definitely something worth digging into. But yeah, I mean, while, while we say that, they're by no means a boring team to watch. I would say they're one of the most interesting teams to watch um, in, in not just La Liga, actually, in, in Europe this season. Um, because they play in a, in a very unique way. Uh, and that's that's what we're going to be discussing today. Um, if if you sort of don't know about Las Palmas, just a little bit of background. One interesting bit about them is that they are not based uh, in in mainland Spain. They're based in the uh, in the Canary Islands uh, alongside Tenerife, who who you might have heard of as well. So they're one of the more prominent clubs outside of the Spanish mainland. Um, and they have been up and down um, in La Liga. I mean, they've definitely they've had a fair few stints. Uh, I mean, since the I mean, since forever since the nineteen fifties or something. Um, but in in recent years, they've only spent about like three seasons in La Liga in the last uh, decade, I'd like to say. Um, and the rest of the time, they have been a mid-table team in the Segunda División. Nothing too interesting about them, you know. Just one of them, um, like just going along, but. Yeah, things changed last season, of course. They won, finished second, uh, won promotion. And it was in, in no small part thanks to uh, the, the new head coach they appointed, uh, a man called Garcia Pimienta, who previously had uh, been at Barcelona. He'd coached the youth setups and then the, the B team. And he has come in and employed a, a very interesting style of play, which we will discuss, um, with a lot of elements, of course, of what we considered the sort of traditional Barcelona way, but a lot of different sort of unique stuff too. And he's he's really definitely been the key 
um, in getting in getting them so far. And so yeah, a bit about him. He's 49 years old. As I said, he coached through Barcelona before. Um, prior to that, he was a player. Uh, play. He was at Barcelona. Came through the youth academy, but didn't really make it in the senior team. Mostly spent his time with uh, the B team, and then he retired pretty early after a couple of stints in some lower division clubs. I think he was about 30 or 29 when he retired, um, and then uh, a few years later, he started taking up coaching which he's been doing for the last uh, 15 or so years. So that's some background on Garcia Pimienta. The interesting bit is um, that he left Barcelona B, the second team, in, what was it, late, about mid-2021. Um, and, I mean, they weren't exactly performing very well at the time. But a lot of reports say that uh, that decision was not necessarily down to performance, but more... A sort of a political play because that was uh, around the time of the elections new president had come in and he wanted to sort of uh, have his people basically around the club and in the setup so that's why uh, Garcia Pimienta was uh, sacked from Barcelona B and then about six months later in early 2022 uh, Las Palmas appointed him and well that's uh, been quite quite a good decision by the looks of it so Alex, unless you have something to add, shall we dive straight into their tactics? Uh, it could add, I don't know if you added in the context of where they are in the world, which I believe is fun. I'm Googling, oh, yeah. to, Googling the, just to make sure. The Canary Islands, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I think, mention. which, I mean, to us that we know that, it's like, yeah, whatever. But it's like, I, I'm happily honest to say, I only realised... Uh, how far away the Canary Islands are from Spain uh, like last year so if you don't know yeah even though they're in La Liga they play in Spain they're like about 2,000 miles away from the country uh, right next to Western Sahara well Morocco um, off the coast of Africa so it's also like quite fun how yeah there's this they're this team this tiny island where Barca Real Madrid whoever will play them we'll have to fly left for each the league again. Yep, that that's true. That's I suppose an, an element uh, as well to consider because I'm not sure their opponents, but also for them. I mean, for the 19 away games, they have a lot uh, of traveling mm. to get through. Um, but it doesn't seem to have faced them so far. Um, so so yeah, let's let's get into their tactics. Um, f- I think first thing worth mentioning has to be their possession play because even though as you mentioned they have the worst uh, attack in terms of chance creation, they are by no means boring in possession. You'll, you'll see a, a lot of um, varying structures from them, uh, mostly sort of depending on their opponents. So generally what you'll see is some variation of a 2-3-2-3, two, three, two, three, you know, the simple sort of traditional 4-3-3 three, three structure. Um, and then mainly you'll see the fullbacks um, sort of offering different angles. Sometimes they may be deep and wide, Sometimes they may look to push up. Sometimes they might be quite narrow, almost inverted. So that's the main variation you get in that. But then in other cases, you can also see a 3-2-2-3. So a box midfield with a fullback inverting or a double six. And yeah, a lot of this does depend on who they're facing. So like if they're if they're facing a team who presses in a 4-4-2, then they might want to play with a back three. So they'll play with this box midfield. And then of course, it also depends uh, on, on who they've got on the pitch. Uh, what sort of players they have so 
there's a lot of variation in terms of structures, um, very sort of symmetric and positional structures as well, I should mention. Um, uh, but yeah, I think what obviously structures is one thing, but what they do with it is is the real interesting bit. So Alex, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, um, like from watching them as well, I think their structure, they, the way you use it to progress the ball is just by keeping it very, very narrow. Um, so I think, you know, you spoke about the two three two three. If one think of like teams like Liverpool, Man City, they might use this completely differently. I think Liverpool are quite stretched whenever they go into that sort of shape, and the idea is, you know, to try and create a lot of space between the opposition defenders, hit a direct, isolate players with one v one. As Palmas is a bit more, let's get our players very narrow, grouped to one side, overload on one side of the pitch, and then that's where they kind of bounce lots of short passes and they, that's where they kind of look like a they look like Barcelona just playing a different in a different colour shirt um, I think what's also fun as well is the way they sort of achieve this shape because it's not particularly static uh, there's lots of rotations between the midfielders sometimes you'll see the six rotate with the eight um, when like it's with the, the fullback and it just creates a lot of space centrally often you'll see the eights rotating with the wingers and that's um, a pretty nice tactic as well because you'll see the the winger come very far inside and it's the striker and the eight they won't pull all the way wide but wide enough to you know maintain that two three two three shape. Um, yeah, the when I've been watching it, I think they're they're rem- they're a bit reminiscent of Swansea uh, from the Premier League about ten years ago when I don't get to say this to many people Neil when you probably weren't even born. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, whereas a team that absolutely dominate possession and don't but it's also sort of like a defensive measure because another thing that's um when you watch Las Palmas it, it basically every player before let's say you're watching a player's highlights um I, I'd wager that every player before they hit a line breaking pass they're playing a wall pass which is they receive the ball with a bat to go and they hit it straight back to the centre back and it, it's that's so constant in the way they play like it is possession for possession's sake, but like the purpose is to just keep it away from the opposition players. Um, and yeah, uh, there's there's a slight other option to this. Uh, I think they they do like to try and knock it in behind uh, into the channels, get their wingers or their striker running in behind. But generally, as well, their striker, who's Sandro, former Barcelona and Everton player, um, he's very useful at just dropping in. And again, being the wall, wall passing it back to like the receipt, the person who made the pass, or being part of a third band combination. Oh, and there's my alarm telling me to get up. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, like when you ever watch Las Palmas, I think like you do, you go some way to stopping them by just tracking Sandro man to man almost because he's very clever at dropping off into space and like getting them to breach the lines. But yeah, it's as I said. Very, very reminiscent of Swansea. Um, they're very f- fun to watch in that aspect. Uh, but I guess you know if th- if they, things aren't high flying, if they aren't you know in the top half of the league, and they're close to relegation, I think it maybe might come under more flack. Mm, interesting, and yeah, just a couple of um, sort of points to to sort of highlight there. One, I think, a very interesting point from a tactical perspective that you mentioned is their rotations because. The, the I mean, I think it's sort of difficult to describe because they are sort of positionally rigid in the sense that 
their shape will always be maintained like it if if they're playing a 2323 or 3223 or whatever like at every point you will see that exact shape on the pitch almost but at the same time they can have these rotations and positional interchanges but as you say if it's if it's the 6 and the 8 rotating then the 6 will go to the 8 position and the 8 will come exactly in the 6 position so that's one really interesting tactical aspect um of theirs Uh, and and yeah i guess it's it's very worth sort of dissecting a bit more um the point you mentioned about them having the the lowest uh, npxg in la liga because as you say like possession wise they're you know right at the top um i believe they are i top 2 or top 3 in terms of this possession average uh, just behind barcelona um and then like all other metrics like i think if you take passes they they are third uh, in la liga for total passes um 18th for goalkeeper long ball percentage so basically they don't go long out of the back at all almost um and and also i think an interesting thing is their 15th for forward passes percentage so that sort of illustrates what you said about you know a lot of circulation at the back and almost possession for possession sake but yeah i guess i guess the the big question is if you have so much of the ball why uh can you not create I mean anything cuz I mean second highest possession average and lowest npxg is a massive um sort of discrepancy. Mm. Any serious? Well, I I'm looking at the numbers again now and I think it, the the problem seems to be they're just not turning their possession into shots almost. It's not even they're turning them into low quality shots. They sit third bottom in the league for um total shots per 90 and uh I think they do rise a bit interestingly for shots outside of the box. They fall they go up to sixth. So um maybe it's a case because uh, I think what uh, other teams have done well this season um like uh, I've been watching Stuttgart recently um what uh, and like Leverkusen as well uh, what teams that have done well this season at the top of their leagues is they haven't always tried to pin opposition teams back with like territorial dominance they let's kind of circulate in midfield or like in between their midfield and defense and what that does it lets the opposition creep forward with their defensive line which opens space up from behind so if you get to your winger then that's a chance to attack them a bit more directly get them running backwards towards their own goal which is exactly what you want from an opposition defense and then they're less settled maybe the problem here with Las Palmas is like if you if you watch it but like they always look they're, they're always pinning back opposition teams i think that's because of just how often they dominate the ball that some teams in la go to go okay we'll just let you have it unless we're 1-0 down um and we can we have the time to retreat and get into our block so maybe the problem is they're giving teams or well, okay they're like they're pinning teams too far back which means they're struggling to breach the box which leads to shots coming from outside of the box that would be my theory i don't know about you Yeah I think that's an interesting point and when you said that I did wonder if this was also perhaps a bit down to just sort of the, the nature of met, uh, many of the teams in La Liga because I think we've sort of touched on this before as well um there's a, a disproportionately high number of low block teams or lower block teams um in La Liga right now I mean uh, y- you look at the table and as I said it's almost the whole of the bottom half which is in the relegation battle um and almost all of them um tend to play in some form of a low block uh, or drop into a low block and especially 
against a team like Las Palmas, who we should say are very difficult to press, right? Just because of how many players they have close around the ball and how quick their passing can be, how great their combination plays and how technically sound their players are because they'll rarely play a loose pass in, in these deep areas. It's, it's, I mean, it's often very futile to press them. So your best bet is to drop in. Um, and many teams in La Liga are very comfortable doing that. Whereas, um, if I don't know, if they were in the Bundesliga, let's say, where teams want to step up more, um, then the point you mentioned about, you know, passes between midfield and defence to lure teams out, that might work a bit better there, where teams are sort of looking for a chance to step up. But like against, uh, I don't know, like Mallorca, once Mallorca drop in, they're, they're, they're going to be there until the ball is sort of turned over. Um, they're not looking to sort of push out that bad. So I wonder if that's one aspect. And the other um, aspect that which I thought is that they simply don't have enough people um, sort of in the real attacking positions. Um, and what I mean by that is, as you said, so we have obviously the, the two centre-backs, defensive midfielder and full-backs who are generally always a part of the base structure somehow. Um, and then you have the two number eights who will also often drop quite deep to help sort of build up, play out, have the rotations or offer sort of overloads, extra options, whatever. And then you also have the wingers rotating with the eight sometimes, so even they get pulled back. And then you also have Sandro, as you said, the striker, dropping back. So it's everyone going back towards the ball. And that leaves very few people. I mean, obviously not all those rotations, you know, they don't take place at the same time. So like if Sandro's dropping back, you'll probably have a winger on the last line looking to get in behind. But I think you rarely have more than, you know, two people in the very attacking positions. And I think ultimately this this simply translates to the fact that they don't have enough people in the penalty area when they get there. And a stat to illustrate that would be their passes into the penalty area where, as, as I said, remember, they're third in La Liga for passes. Uh, and as far as passes in the penalty area are concerned, I believe they are ninth. Um so that's that's just a, a big problem. And then the other thing is, I just noticed this as well. Do you want to guess where they are for crosses? Uh, where they are for crossing La Liga? Yeah, I mean, successful crosses in, in the penalty area. You oh, successful okay. crosses. I reckon like 15. They're last. Last, uh, there we go, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a big problem because they don't... I mean, just player profile-wise, and we'll, we'll get onto this maybe a bit later, but they just don't have that many... Uh, that many goal scorers for one but also especially that many like box presences like even even their number eights I mean you have those sort of you know attacking number eights who can make late runs crash the box or whatever but Las Palmas don't really have those um, so it's and then of course the wingers are again not really they're like proper wide touchline wingers not really people who are great at posing a goal threat so I think at the end, it's simply a case of they don't have enough players um, in the dangerous areas and then they don't have enough dangerous players in the dangerous areas. I don't think they're good as well at turning. Their, when they win the ball high, they're not very efficient at turning them into shots. So they're, they're third, I think, for PPDA uh, in La Liga. Um, and they're like ninth for uh, high turnovers, but then they fall down to about 11th for lows that end in a shot. Uh, so maybe again, that's another area. Like, could they be more? Could could they be better at pressing opposition teams, winning the ball high, and they don't have to, you know, break down a big deep block 
they might be able to create more chances. But like that just kind of seems to be an avenue they've not been like done well enough to explore yet. That's that's interesting, and maybe that uh, should offer a nice segue to our next point, which is their the defensive side of their game, which is is arguably even more bold, I would say, or or unique even in a sense, um, because they play with an unbelievably high line. I mean, in, in the Premier League, people have been talking a lot about Aston Villa this season and how high their line is, but I, I'm pretty sure Las Palmas, on average, maintain a higher line, quite I mean, significantly higher line um, than uh, even Aston Villa, because they will camp their back four on almost on halfway or like as close to halfway as physically possible, um, as far as they can. Generally, they'll start in. Sort of a four-one-four-one high block, often um, mainly against teams they sort of want to apply some pressure to. So I don't think you'll see this against like Barcelona, for example, because they know pressing them is not the best idea um, in the world. But often um, what you'll see is almost a full sort of player marking, or not necessarily close marking, but like player orientation across the pitch, and then that will also include a centre back. You know, stepping into midfield uh, if needed. Um, so you you do see that a lot when they're pressing high. But yeah, it's generally a four-one-four-one high block. Um, not exactly a lot of proactive pressure. Like you might have the striker chasing the ball a bit, but you, you don't have a lot of sort of like right from right when the goal kick stick, and you won't have three people running at the ball. You'll just have probably the striker. But then uh, he will look to angle the passes. Uh, or rather close down angles and then force the opposition to one side, for example. And then that's when the, the press will really spring with the winger and the number eight. Um, and so that's, so that's one thing they do. But yeah, they, they're not exactly a prolific presser. I mean, what do you say? They were third for PPDA, which makes sense uh, in the sense that when they do press or when they do jump, they tend to make a tackle or a sort of contest uh, a, a duel. So that's why they're high in the PPDA numbers. But they, they are a bit selective with when they press. So that's why just their volume of high turnovers probably isn't, you know, right up there. Um, and then, yeah, they, they do, of course, drop in uh, to a compact, but like it's an ultra compact mid block because they're still trying to maintain that unbelievably high defensive line. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, uh, they, they, for just how high their line is, it's it's a real wonder that they haven't considered a lot more um, because, I, I mean, yeah, like, I, I don't know how best to describe it, but they will be in the center circle almost until the opposition get out of their own third. So, I mean, their whole block will be compressed into just like midfield third or, or even a bit higher, like and right until the end, and then they'll have to drop into a low block, basically. So it's it's an unbelievably high line. Um, and of course, they have to coordinate their sort of offside traps and all really well, which I think they have done. Um, it's also very important to mention the goalkeeper because he has to be extremely, extremely active of his line to come and sweep in this massive space. He's done a fantastic job of that. We'll get onto that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's an unbelievably unique, um, a very bold approach, which has worked. I I, I would say it has worked well enough um, given the circumstances. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it's an extremely unique approach and it, it's fun. It's nice to see a promoted team not come up and immediately just, you know, 
low block in front of goal, grind their way to safety. Like, it, this is a more, well, I think if you get out of years one to three uh, in the Premier League, yeah, in the Prem, I'm saying in the Premier League because I've done a lot of research into how relegated teams can stay in the Premier League. So apologies if I repeat that when talking about a, a Spanish team. But you get out of years one to three and you kind of get the player quality in there um, that's representative of La Liga, then you, you like with this play style, you have enough to progress up the table uh, rather than just be like, again, for a lack of comparison, a, a Premier League team like Crystal Palace where they came up, they've always played dogged defensive football, sat in front of their own goal. It's not scalable at all unless you have... Um, you come across a crop of really good individuals and sort of carry you. Like you were, you'll find it really hard to ever get out of a relegation battle because you know you're essentially always you're, you're somewhat reliant on the quality. Of, I guess of like you know whether that's Palmas, they've not got particularly good attackers as you said, but they've managed to stay up with this. Um, well, they look like they stay up with this. If they add high quality attackers to their team, then they could quite they could climb up the table quite quickly. Whereas if a team like Crystal Palace added um, high quality attackers, they're still going to be a team who sits deep. Like they they're still going to be somewhat reliant on how well other teams break them down. Like that's always going to be that the other teams always can control their games. Whereas that's Palmas have this control. So if it goes well, you can expect them in four or five years. Like, what's to say they can't compete like for Europa League spots in Spain? Like they can become a force. They just need to make sure they scale their team well if they're going to maintain this play style. But I, I really believe like if you nail this, unlike a Burnley, like this can be a really good way to uh, get promoted. Yeah, I think I think that is uh, an interesting point um, about sort of how how the the play style translates from the second tier to the top flight because like especially in the Premier League this season, right? I think it's mainly just the case of the gulf in quality being too big. Um because like no matter how Burnley played, the Premier League teams were just too good. So they were always going to end up in a relegation battle at best and probably relegated. Well I've done as I said I've I looked into this a lot and maybe this will see a lot of day uh, one time in a vid, uh, in a video, uh, for the athletic for one reason or another, it didn't, it hasn't yet. Um, but yeah, like, yes, Burnley are very bad, but generally in the Premier League, um, it's been very rare for a team. It's a bit rarer for a team to get promoted and stay up beyond five years by by coming up and playing dominant football. And the answer I really found for that was it's just less safe. So like mm. doing what Las Palmas have done, it's a it is riskier. Like because if you essentially the thing you should be doing when you get promoted is just stopping goals going in, and as we'll touch on, Las Palmas do that really well. Um, like that that should be your number one prerogative. And then as you stay in the league longer, you should be looking to score more goals by playing the way Las Palmas do or like Burnley do. Obviously, you're you're depre- detecting your goal less, right? Um, like you're getting less bodies in front of goal immediately. There is the risk of getting caught in transition, yada yada yada. So, if you're at risk of conceding more goals, you're at a greater risk of getting relegated. So, I think 
that's really the key between key difference between a Las Palmas and a Burnley here. Their defence, as we're about to touch on, is one of the best in the league. Yep, let's let's get into that then. Uh, I'm sure you know then that they have the third lowest um, goals conceded uh, return. Do you want to guess yes, where I they do. are in terms of XG conceded? Uh, are they bottom? Uh, are they like fifteenth? Yeah, that is. I think spot on. Actually, yes, indeed, they are fifteenth. Um, so I think that's that's one interesting point I found. And then the other bit to note is that. Uh, in terms of like chance quality conceded, so NPXG per shot conceded. Do you want to guess where they are? Um, I bet that that the quality of chance they're conceding is like the second lowest. Well, no, it's it's the third highest. Um, um. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, I mean, as in like by lowest you meant they're conceding low quality chances, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, they are the third highest. So they're conceding high quality chances. Interesting. Uh, and I think I think that's mainly to do with just how they play because of this, you know, incredibly high line. If someone goes in behind, that's almost a guaranteed big chance. Um, so I think that that's a, a, a main sort of explanation behind that. But yeah, I mean, they've massively overperformed uh, relative to their um, expected goals against. So their xGA tally, uh, according to FBF, is thirty six point five. They've conceded just twenty five goals. So that's I mean, that's massive. That's over 10 in just 25 matches. So I think this is one sort of interesting point to consider is how sustainable this is. And as far as this overperformance goes, you can attribute almost 90% of it to this one person, which is the goalkeeper, Alvaro Weiss, because he has been, I believe, the best uh, in La Liga when it comes to shot-stopping, um, and indeed, if you look at the PSXG stats, which FBRF have, which basically sort of compare how well a keeper is uh, preventing goals relative to an average shot stopper, Las Palmas are at plus 9.3. So that's almost their whole XG tally, uh, or rather differential. And then the second team is Real Madrid at 6.5. So a uh, 6.4, sorry. That's a big, big gap already. Um, and I do think... A lot of their, I mean, yeah, clearly a lot of their overperformance is down to Alvaro Weiss, mm. Alvaro Weiss being incredibly good. And so then, mm-hmm. then the question is, it, is, is it now, Leo? Do you think so? Do you not think so? Uh, well, actually, uh, actually, um, mm. they they have overperformed their expected goals, uh, like their non penalty expected goals, significantly as well by three point nine goals, which is one of the highest in that league. Which is a contrast to last year uh, in the second division where they actually underperformed. So yes, the goalkeeper's done a lot, but um, stats. Uh, if you're a stat nerd, which you know I thought you were, but clearly quite not, uh, uh, a lot of the overperformance is also coming from in front of goal. If they weren't overperforming in front of goals as much as they have, they may well be terrible because their non-penalty expected goals penalty last season it was uh, in the second division. Um, it was 1.1 per 90. In La Liga, it's 0.7. Um, so they could have been very bad if they didn't. If they had a similar underperformance they did last season, this season. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that that is that is true. But uh, I mean, as we said earlier, the reason what they're doing is working is because of you know the fact that they're not conceding so much, right? Like if they didn't yes, score yes. two, three more goals. 
they wouldn't be in a re- they probably wouldn't be in a relegation battle. Sure, they'd have like five points less, um, but they wouldn't re- be down there. But I mean, if they conceded like ten more goals, then they probably would. Yes, sir. Uh, so, so that's why I think he's the main um, sort of. I mean, he's not obviously the only reason, but he's the main reason um, behind their their overperformance. But and then of course the question is like, is this is this a sustainable approach? And I mean, I do wonder because I I do think uh, Wise is very very good, and this sort of play style is exactly suited to him. So I mean, I'm almost inclined to say this is sort of like Liverpool and Alisson uh, is. Which is, I'm sure, a comparison many are familiar with because almost every season, Alisson overperforms like relative to the expected number of goals he should concede, not just through shot stopping, but also through like one on one saves and sweeping. And Vice is also very good at that. I mean, he's a fantastic, fantastic sweeper, but he's also really good at 1v1 with his like decision making. So, you know, whether he should jump off his line or stay deep or, of course, get, come out the box and clean it up. So, with him in goal, I think you can expect, you know, some degree of uh, overperformance uh, to come from him. Now, whether that's ten goals worth of overperformance uh, is is that sustainable? I don't know, but I mean, I don't think so because if it is, then he's probably one of the best goalkeepers to ever stand <laughs> in between the sticks. Um, and I mean, he's really good, but I don't know about that. Uh, so, what do you think it is in overperformance in terms of points? Because as we were talking, the the coast kind of clicks in my head, like, oh, they're overperforming in front of goal. They're overperforming in front of their own goal. Where do they stand with expected goal difference per 90? Obviously, they're ninth usually. Where do you think they fall to in the table? Ah, okay. Well, I would like to say 16th. Nope, second bottom, 19th. Ooh, okay. Right down there with Kadith. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Oh, that's that's yeah. That is quite, quite the rough. And yeah, I, I guess it's also worth checking the expected points, which yeah, they are right down there. So that's lovely. Um, but but yeah, I I mean I think it would be totally wrong to say that they've been the second worst team in La Liga this season. Um, oh, I mean they have overperformed at both ends of the of the pitch, but like in between they've been really oh, really no. good. And you can I'm explain sorry. their overperformance no. at one end. Certainly, uh, in terms of defense, to the personnel and the profiles they have. So, having Vice in goal is what really enables this style. So, yeah, I do worry, like, if, if he moves no. on, and I, I do think many people should be interested in signing him in the summer. So, if he does move on, then they'll have a big job on their hands to uh, replace him. No. But as long as he's there, I think they can do this and get away with it fairly well and I think one final point to illustrate and maybe this is what um, contributes to their expected points being not that great is the fact that in their 25 games 15 of sorry in 15 of their 25 games so far this season Las Palmas have taken a lead Alex how often do you think they've won how often I mean just yeah what's their like results sort of standing wins draws and losses of those 15 games where they've taken a lead? Where they've led? Yeah. Okay, so from winning position... Yep. I reckon it's 15 games. Uh, how many won they? How many have they won overall? They've won like 10 overall. I guess 8-1, 8-2, 8-3, 8-4, 8-5, 8-6, 8-7, 8-8, 8-9, 8-10, 8-11, 8-12, 8-13, 8-14, 8-15, 8-16, 8-17, 8-18
five drawn, two lost. Uh, and the correct answer, I mean, close enough. The correct answer is 10-1, three drawn, and two lost. Blimey, uh, that's a really good record. Yeah, so I think the, the point to illustrate there is, and I, I think this explains part of their sort of overall expected points over performance, is that they're really good at, you know, game management after taking a lead. Um, so that's why, I mean, they will probably concede a few shots. They'll definitely, I mean, yeah, big point is that once they have the lead, they their attack even falls off further. Like, as we discussed, like, even in general, their attack isn't great. But then when they have the lead, they are most definitely keeping possession for possession's sake almost. Um, so that's why those numbers aren't really beefed up. And then you probably don't win a lot of these games on in terms of like XG um, because you don't create anything more. But that doesn't mean you don't deserve to win any of them. So I think that is a, a big uh, sort of point to consider as well is just how often they've played and how well they've seen out those wins. Um, and as you say, they've... Did you say they won 10 games? So does that mean all 10 of their wins? Yeah. Uh, I mean, wow. to be fair... I mean, logically, it probably does track because, you know, if you win a game, you did lead. So it does make sense. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, still a very impressive record. I mean, just dropping five, uh, just dropping points five times from winning positions for uh, a newly promoted team is very, very impressive indeed. So yeah, I think that uh, should cover that. Do you have any more interesting stats we should be interested in? Uh, no. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> players then. Um, we have a fair few interesting players as well, um, especially in the defense and midfield side of things because that's been the more interesting part. I think one big name, possibly the most um, familiar name to many or, or certainly the most talked about name has been uh, Mika Marmol. Uh, young 22-year-old uh, left-sided centre-back, uh, formerly of Barcelona. He worked uh, in, in the B team with uh, Garcia Pimienta. So I, I'm sure he was a big influence in signing him ahead of this season. And he has been fantastic, um, both in and out of possession. So, of course, in possession, we know what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to securely keep things flowing, retain the ball, pass it. Um, to the midfielders or fullbacks or the other centre back, and he's he's been very good at that. Um, technically sound, left footed, so that's always um, and uh, a, a desired trait to have in a centre back because we know there aren't that many left footed centre backs. And he's also a very good forward carrier. So if given space, he is happy to sort of take the ball forward um, and, and just progress up the pitch that way. But I think the, the equally interesting part is how impressive he's been out of possession. So I mentioned earlier that often you do see uh, with Las Palmas when they're in the high block or when they're rather going to press, you do see a centre-back stepping into midfield to sort of track someone as well. And almost always that centre-back is Marmol. So he's the one stepping out. And it's, in fact, sometimes, I don't remember which game this was, but I do remember one game where because of just how deep the opposition midfielders dropped, Marvel, Marmol would actually come up alongside the striker almost. Like he would cross his own midfielders um, to track him. So that, that's how intensely they can track. 
um, and Marmol does really good at it. I mean, obviously, uh, when he does that, he gets pulled out of his position in the back line. But what he does really well is one, he will more often than not, he will win his duels, whether it's like an aerial duel or whether it's it's tackling. And when you're stepping up like this, the, the really important thing is to not get turned. And he does fantastic at that. So he, he ensures there's enough distance to sort of jump in and make that tackle. But at the same time, he doesn't let the person he is tacking the stone and run past him. So he's he's always going to stay goal side of them. Uh, and I think so. Yeah, that's that's something he does really well. So he's he. If you look at his stats, he's a really high volume defender. Obviously, tons of touches, passes, and all that. Um, very high in terms of carries uh, as well, and take ons especially too, because he will shuffle past people. Um, and yeah, I think he is definitely one to watch. Uh, with the way he plays, I think he would probably do better in a back three than a normal uh, back four system. But yeah, teams should definitely be keeping an eye on him. Alex, why don't we talk now about one of their midfielders, Enzo Loyodice, if I said that Oh, right. thank God you said his name. I've been looking <laughs> at it all, night, all morning. I don't know how to pronounce it. And uh, did you say Enzo Loyodice? I, I mean, I, I guess. That's my guess. My son is he's French, so mm, it would probably be something like Enzo Lodice or yeah. something like that. Well, Enzo, let's um, call him Enzo. Enzo, yeah, that's not enough for that in football. Um, <laughs> yeah, en- Enzo is a left-footed, twenty-three-year-old uh, French midfielder. He's been at Wolves. He's been at Dijon uh, in France. Um, like many Las Palmas players, he's not got a goal or an assist <laughs> for his efforts. Um, but he-, he does look quite interesting. It- so essentially, what he he plays like mainly on the left hand side of midfield. I think on paper he plays right hand side as a right eight, but um, more often not he goes over to the left and not to the left wing and dribbling at defenders. What I think he does quite well was his his positioning in the blocks always really good in the opposition block. Like he'll carve out a pocket of space, and what he often has a pattern. Like it's kind of what we spoke about earlier. Like he'll receive the ball, play it straight back to whoever played it, a wall pass. Then he'll get it again a couple of passes later, at which point he'll move it on further forward as that sort of third man combo. Um, yeah, he, he looks quite fun. Um, he's a decent ball carrier as well, uh, and only twenty three. I'd like to see what else he can do. I, I do. I, he does come across as quite a mature footballer, so maybe this will be someone who, in like four or five years' time, he'll be like really having a good time in La Liga as some sort of like you know, I can see him at Real Betis. Uh, that's basically enough to say, like just having a, a lovely sort of prime year, prime years to his career. All right, interesting. Um, let us now move on. Uh, uh, let's go first to Alvaro Alvaro Vice actually quickly. Um, I think we've I mean basically covered everything about him. Uh, while we were discussing Las Palmas's out of possession tactics. Um, but yeah, just worth emphasizing. I mean, statistically, everything's just like. Massively high percentiles, whether that's uh, his, his post shot expected goals uh, saved, basically. He's best in La Liga, as I said. Uh, sweeping actions, defensive actions outside penalty area. He averages... Oh, actually, do you want to guess this? Do you want to guess his average, uh, per 90 average of defensive actions outside the penalty area? Well, that's a tongue twister. Um, oh, God, I, I wouldn't have a clue. I'm, I'm going to guess at like 1.7. Okay, well, the correct answer is 2.68. I don't uh, feel too bad about my guess. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah, but basically that means 
like every match or every two matches he makes over five defensive actions outside the penalty area so that's quite a lot no one in la liga does more than that um and yeah he's i think it's it's maybe one thing we didn't really touch on uh is he's a fantastic ball player as well like he's when uh, las palmas are building up uh, like in their own third like against a high press or something he is really really good he's definitely very involved and he's someone who doesn't waver under any pressure at all so you can press him and he'll just go go about doing his thing he obviously is a secure short passer but what stood out to me is, is that he's also i mean quite adept at going long with both his feet and this is something you don't see in too many goalkeepers because i mean obviously most of them can boot it long but they generally can only do it on one foot like even i'd say like even ederson right like if you force him onto his right and force him to sort of kick it long he's not going to be very accurate and might even be a bit risky but at least what i've seen of vice he does very good at just getting distance on both of his feet um in his long passes so yeah a very well rounded keeper um and absolutely someone who i think should be on a lot of people's radars in the summer because i mean he has everything you could really want in a modern goalkeeper so yeah just 26 years old as well so yeah definitely uh, one to watch and finally i think one last player i wanted to highlight was uh, Julian Araujo who's on loan from Barcelona so might be of interest to Barcelona fans i, I mean when they did, they signed him when was it um last summer uh, or or rather last uh, yeah february 2023 from LA Galaxy and i did think this was a bit of a weird signing i mean one because the jump from the LA Galaxy to Barcelona is massive but also too because he's not really a profile that fits the way they play because Barcelona play with the right back really deep forming a back 3 whereas Araujo is very much an attacking overlapping right back so he's he's had a very good time at Las Palmas because he's been able to play a more attacking role whether that's just sort of bombing down the wing or inverting into midfield um and not just into the like the double pivot like he also invert in the more attacking sort of number 8 like position in a box midfield so uh he's he's i think he's clearly excelled in this role and i don't know if the loan has an option to buy but uh yeah i mean i definitely don't think that uh, there's a future for him at barcelona immediately not just as i said not just because of quality but also because of just the, the profiles um but yeah, i mean with the new manager coming in who knows uh but uh, yeah I, i mean i think he's he's going to probably be better off um if he can staying at las palmas uh or a similar sort of club but yeah i mean he's he's someone who sort of gets into the attacking third uh through just the direct carrying or dribbling and then he can put in a decent cross um but i don't think that's really been sort of highlighted so much at las palmas because of the reasons we discussed the fact that they don't have that many people up there uh but yeah i think he's a handy player to have and pretty versatile so yeah again 22 years old so another exciting youngster uh, to watch out for so yeah i think that's um all we have in terms of players unless you have any other names alex um but if not let's round it off with uh, quick predictions And obviously they're going to stay up this season. I don't think we need to predict that because with what uh 
about like 13 matches left then ninth so means it's surely not going to go down but did you mention alex uh what did you say was it did you say five years like no one in the premier league can stay up for five years uh no i mean no, not no one but it, yeah yeah difficult. i mean it's very difficult it's difficult yeah uh, so um let, let's let's break that actually do you think or yeah do you think las palmas can stay up for five years and if not when do you think they get relegated oh that's a good question um I, the cynic in me says next season. The cynic in me says, um, like all they need is a year of underperformance, and with the current players they have, unless they're able to really add some quality and attack, uh, and other teams will know what to expect from them, they could face a lot. Like I want, I, I think it will be very interesting to see how they deal with. It's a similar thing for Stuttgart next season. Well, they deal with like a ten-game period where, you know, those games that, um, you know, you dominate and seven times out of ten you win, and that one time out of ten you lose because the other team runs up the pitch and just scores. I want to see how they do with a ten-game run where that happens like quite consistently, which I think nearly every team that tries to dominate possession goes through every like every couple of seasons or so. I think I think right now that would be enough to kill them off, um, personally. Uh, or at least drag him into a relegation battle. Mm, interesting. One thing I've just been looking up while you're saying that is um, sort of their financial capabilities. Um, and of course, one way to mention that is through their salaries. Do you want to guess where they are in La Liga in terms of their payroll? Uh, I reckon 18th. That's absolutely spot on. You, I mean, you Can I tell you my logic? At your guesses. I knew, I knew, their, I knew their team was like quite mid like across the board, but I knew like players like Munir and Sandro, formerly of Barcelona. I'm like, right, well, they they won't be on pennies. They're not going to be on loads, but it'll be enough to drag them up a little bit. Uh, brilliant, uh, brilliant stuff. Um, but yeah, I th- and uh, I mean, they're 18th, a- but they're also like a bit adrift from teams above them. So like even Getafe have almost double their payroll. So I think that's another point to note because like, as you were mentioning, it's important if uh, for these newly promoted teams if they want to stay in the top flight for longer to sort of sort of progress their squad and obviously you need money for that and Las Palmas I mean I, I'm not a financial expert I have not really looked into where they get their money from but I imagine since they're on the uh, I mean given their geographical location um, and the fact that they do have to do a lot of traveling so that's obviously costs um, and just like general stature of their club. I don't think they have a lot of money. Their soft transfer, sorry, their salaries highlighted. Their transfer business also highlights it. This is incredible. I mean, this season they spent uh, 4.8 million on transfers. Uh, I mean, in terms of transfer fees um, and that's just four signings. They made about four more uh, free signings and then a few loans. Do you want to guess, Alex, in the last one, two, three, four seasons, how much money they spent in terms of transfer fees before this one? Uh, uh, how much they spent the last five seasons? No, last four. Last four seasons. I mean, before this, so, uh, yeah. I'm going to guess 19 million. I have bad news. 
Yeah. You're horrifically wrong. Oh. Like massively. It's actually 1.6 million. Wow. They have spent absolutely nothing. I should have, to be fair, I should have got that. Actually, yeah, this, is always... this is second. There's no parachute. Well, it's just here. Span- Spanish football have been notoriously low spenders since COVID, actually. So that's when I should have got, really. Yeah. Like, they've, they've under, they've, Undertaken league earners, Europe's biggest, like its lowest spenders in the top five leagues. Yeah. So that's what I should have got. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's like quite incredibly low. And I mean, on on the one hand, that means that they can spend absolutely whatever they want in terms of FFP. But on the other hand, it obviously means that they don't seem to have a lot of money. Um, so yeah, with that considered, I am inclined to agree with you um, that I mean, definitely one season of underperformance could kill them. Could well be next season, but at the same time, as I've mentioned before, when I look at that La Liga table, I see a lot of teams, but not very good. Um, and when I look at Leganes, with all due respect, being top of the second division with their um, starting lineup, they are also not very, very good. So I'm going to say that they can stay up for at least two more seasons. Um, and then I imagine these teams will sort themselves out because they have more money. Um, and then I would be worried because I, I mean, Las Palmas don't seem to have the money, but yeah, I'm going to say at least two more seasons, we should hopefully see them, uh, up in the top flight. But yeah, I think that uh, is all we have, unless you have anything to add. So that should round us off for now. My prediction my one of my I think one of my bold preseason predictions was Las Palmas to finish in the top flight, or rather in the top half, obviously of the top flight. Um, so that's looking good. Hopefully they can see off Osasuna three points behind them uh, in the last thirteen games. But anyway, uh, thank you very much, Alex, for your time. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find uh, both of us on Twitter. I'm at Shailat Neil. Alex is at EuroExpert underscore. If you head to the Ad Get Football EU account, um, you'll find in the bio the links to all our country and league-specific accounts. Um, and then you'll also find links to all of that down in our in the show notes or description. So do go and follow those to be updated with all the things that are happening in the world and in Europe um, with news, analysis, videos, all sorts of stuff. Um, and yeah, please do rate the podcast if your app allows it. And of course, feel free to share it on social media as well if you enjoyed. But thanks for listening. Um, Thank you, Alex. And we'll be back next week, hopefully with a full cast, um, to discuss something else. Take care until then. Bye-bye.